but you know, we can edit out whatever we need to edit out. So all right. Any of the expletives? Yeah, we're gonna try to keep it no expletives. PG. Yeah. <laughs> Non-explicit because all those, you know, all those people will be driving. I thought we were talking about contractors. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I'm your host, Catherine McPhail. I'm an architect working in eastern Massachusetts. I specialize in renovations and additions to existing homes. I have produced this podcast as a library for my clients to get information about home renovations. It's certainly for you if you're planning a home renovation or if you just love to hear about home renovations, and I welcome you. So today, the episode is centered around the question, do you actually need a contractor? I think the answer will become clear here in my conversation with architect Carl Lebo. So enjoy the conversation. Carl, welcome. Thank you. So you are, I know you have designed houses and things, but you are a sports architect. Is that right? That's right. I'm an, a sports architect, sports venue architect, and um, I had uh, quite an extensive sideline of houses as well as my own renovations. Yeah. Um, what is a sports architect? So a sports architect, a sports venue architect is okay. someone who does stadiums, arenas, and uh, largely for the college and institutional marketplace. Hmm. Well, that's pretty awesome. So your you you your title would be sports venue architect. It, well, either way, I will. Yeah. I will it just sounds yeah. cool. It just sounds yeah. cool. I mean, I'm just not. I'm just not Thanks. one. So yeah. Um, so you and I have known each other for a while. I think I th- at least yes, probably 20 years. Yeah, there've been a number of dogs. I was just thinking about how initially we met through your dog, essentially our dogs. So right. that was a lot of dogs ago. <laughs> and uh, at least well, I don't know. I can't even think. At least six dogs between us. Exactly. I know. Or maybe more, but um, your houses too. You're on your third house since I've met so you. We're on our third fixer-upper. Yeah, I think uh, my wife and I have an issue. Um, <laughs> Are you going to drag your wife in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you, um, you've been doing your own work on all these houses, or did you ever hire a contractor? Or so you know, we've done we've done both, and I, I have to say that I think the the best outcome has been when we have hired a contractor and actually hired them early on in the process i mean i think it's slightly different when you're doing your own work at a um at a fixer-upper um but even the smaller projects you know i think if if you're a non-architect or not in the profession um even the smaller projects have um multiple trades and inspections that are required so having that that contractor kind of early in the process, um, I just I, I think is invaluable yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. Yes, may, w- many of which we may go into today. Good. Actually, yeah, yeah. So when I mean I, I was thinking about this as I was writing up my notes that uh, that you had done your own some of your own work, and then I realized I also had done I had contracted my own project here at the right at yeah. the hoarder house so i had forgotten that i've just uh kind of blocked it out i guess <laughs> <laughs> i know i mean I, so. I i i think that's the issue is i think people you know it seems like a small project 
but there's, you know, the, the, the amount of coordination and the, you know, with the town inspections as well as with the trades, um, you forget that it, it's really kind of a full-time job. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. And, you know, I guess the reason we're even talking about it is because according to Massachusetts law, anyway, that it, a homeowner can hire subcontractors to work on their own house. So that's why right. we're even yeah. mentioning that. But right. I think, uh, yeah, I remember it being pretty much all I was doing. I mean, exactly. I, was, I mean, it, it could be a real full-time, you know, a small kitchen renovation or a dressing room can become one of these things that just occupies all your time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for those you know people who are also raising a family and doing full-time jobs, it, it's, it becomes this, this huge time sink. Oh yeah. I don't even know if that would be possible if you had a full-time job elsewhere. Right. You'd have to be, yeah. actually have to be on site a lot of the time. So that's another right. exactly. drawback. And you kind of have to know, what you're doing, how to sequence the work. and Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the other pitfalls is if you don't really have that, that kind of in-depth knowledge of construction or, you know, what has to go when, with the, especially with electrical and plumbing, um, you might end up throwing away some of the work that you just installed, you know, just because you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed that inspection mm. or this thing. So I think that it's, you know, you, you can throw good money after bad. Um, it, without that kind of that consultant that you, you hopefully hire early in the process. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about the process? Uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think typically, uh, you know, as I said, I think the best outcome I've had and, and what I try to tell my clients, uh, not necessarily when I'm doing the, the sports work, but when I'm doing the residential work, but it's similar in a, in a large uh, client, you know, a, a sports venue is that we have construction managers and those are from the construction industry. And those people are typically hired early on in the process. And they really do the same job that we're talking about um, contractors doing in, in the residential marketplace in that they, they can give you the opportunity to really kind of ferret out some of these unseen conditions, um, such as you, you might have asbestos or you might have piping or um, support beams in the wrong location and, and, and having someone with that kind of in-depth knowledge of construction is, is incredibly helpful. Um, so what I typically do, or I tell, you know, try to um, uh, ask the clients to do is to, um, you know, look into the process of, of hiring a contractor really early in the process, perhaps not as early as the architect, but pretty shortly thereafter, just because I think that you get the best outcome when it's a team approach, when it's yeah. the owner, yep. the owner, architect, and the contractor working together. Um, and I think one of the things to, you know, I, I think some of the worst um, projects that I've encountered are when you go through a full bid process, you do the de design documentation, you do the bid documents, and then you go out to bid and the owner selects the lowest bid. Um, and, and basically you're selecting someone who you're going to spend at least a year with um, rather intimately um, on the premise that he had the lowest bid. And typically that lowest bid, you know, when you're done is not the lowest bid necessarily because there's a lot of ways that they will find, um, oh, that wasn't included in the drawing or that wasn't included in the drawing. And that, that really kind of leaves the exposure for the, I think, the, um, the homeowner 
kind of higher than if it was really a team effort and they're like, no, we've got that included. We've got that included, you know, the architect comprised the contractor and vice versa saying, did you include this? Did you include this? What about this? Um, so I think that's the best way, you know, once you approach it as a team, um, really to get the right and accurate price of, of what the project would be. So Carl, I totally agree with you. And I have been having problems getting getting my clients to actually hire the contractors earlier in the process yeah, because they still want to put it out to bid somehow. But I feel right. like the bidding process is doesn't really work, especially now with people being so busy that they're, people aren't really taking the time that they would need to put together an accurate price. Right. And who can blame them because it's maybe 40 hours of work. Exactly. And I think in the smaller, more complicated projects, um, you're, you know, the contractors can say, well, you know, this is really worth my while. This is going to be very complicated. Um, and I'm probably not going to be the lowest bidder and they'll throw a number at it. That's not realistic. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I, and I think that is an issue is, you know, how do you get, you know, because the, um, the value of the contractor is, is really, you know, I, I think what I do is I typically will say, well, you know, this for a variety of reasons, these are the reasons you should, you should start looking now and try to avoid the bid process. And I think typically the low bid you know, the, just the discussion we just had about the low bidder is, is one of the key things is you really don't ever get the best value with that lower bidder. Well, then how do you get them to hire a contractor earlier if it's not based on price? I mean, I think, I mean, I typically, you know, from the way I've been handling my business is, is it's through word of mouth and it's someone's friend and then i you know i know typically that it's going to be a good fit between me and the client um and likewise i think if there's uh you know the the same kind of selection with the contractor um you know it's it's either word of word of mouth someone's friend they've done a great project i've got a reference i think it's really important to not only interview but also then follow up and check the references um I think it's really kind of, you know, it's almost dating as just the same with the architect. Um, you know, you have to get along with this person because you're going to see a lot of them. I had a contractor recently uh, make an analogy about him being a, if he were a restaurant, he would be Oleana, he said. Uh-huh. So. Wow. I want that contractor. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I don't want the Taco Bell. (laughs) Well, Taco Bell or maybe have like TGI Fridays or, you know, you got different levels. (laughs) I think your lower bidder is typically a Taco Bell where it just uh, never quite ends up right. (laughs) Right. But then, I mean, you can get a perfectly decent meal at, well, I don't know, like the Wellington, for example. And these are all local restaurants. So people who are you know, elsewhere, don't know what we're talking about. But so Oleon is a very nice restaurant where I personally would maybe go there once a year. Right, exactly. Um, just because it's, you know, it's really, it's delicious food and it's great service and it's a lovely ambiance and everything, but it's not, it's not something that I want to spend money on every week. Right. Personally. So, um, but I thought that was a good analogy because I guess contractors, they produce the same yeah. physical thing. They might have different levels of service or they do have different levels of service. Right. Um, so basically, I thought that was kind of an interesting. It is analogy. interesting. And, and that and it kind of brings up another point in that, you know, for certain jobs, do you need the Oleana? 
mm-hmm. or do you need the Burger King? Um, you know, <laughs> certain projects might be such that if you're doing a dressing room and you really like the guy, you might not need such extensive finishing work. I mean, if right. it's something that's a smaller project and say California Closet's going to come in and redo it, True. you know, you might be able to, you know, and that's kind of judging, really judging the project and and what you need. Some some contractors are are going to be higher end in that their finish work is going to be, you know, superb. But do you always need that in in things, or is you know, somewhat you know the running trim, you know, what we, the kind of the regular trim. Is that going to be fine or do you really need the custom mill work? Right. Right. Yeah. I guess that just depends on the particular project, right? Exactly. So people oh, have yeah. To, but yeah. that's that would explain the difference in price between between contractors, though, to me. If they all have the same scope and they're bidding on the same project, the difference in the price would be how much they're paying their subs per hour, how yeah. much their markup is. Exactly. And, and, and who are their subs? You know, there might be subs that are, you know, also in that kind of category that, that just, you know, you might not need the Taj when you're working on something. Um, And I often advise my clients to ask when they're calling the references, ask about the subs, what were the subs like? Did they, did they spit off the roof? That's one of my, that's one of my things. (laughs) I don't like people spitting. Well, that's exactly true. And I think typically what you'll find is that contractors will have the same subs. They've got a relationship just like, um, like, you know, any, any other uh, industry. And so they will not typically, you know, the subs that they have are their subs. So, so actually, I think that's a great idea because then you really do get to kind of get the full picture of who's going to be used and, and at what time. Another one of the kind of the really important parts of of contractors is, you know, kind of this, you know, and, and maybe this kind of lends itself to how to how to justify the early hiring of contractors and, and you know, what exactly do they do and what what services they provide, you know, in addition to, you know, the, the project, you know, really making the project come to life. Um, you know, they, there's other aspects that they do that I think are meaningful and, and I think we can, we can note some of them is um, like the development of a construction schedule um, mm-hmm. and letting the owner know, okay, at this point we'll do foundations, at this point we'll be rough shelling or we'll put, be putting on the roof and the windows. At this point, I'm going to need a payment for the windows or the kitchen and, and just it allows you with that construction schedule um, to, to kind of know your own budget um, as well as know, okay, what disruptions are coming up mm-hmm. um, that I can then plan for. Yes. Yes. Cause a um, lot of these people, if people, I don't think people should always live in the house, but if they are living in the house at the time of the construction, then it's important to know which days people are going to be there with you on site. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, that brings up another topic of, of, you know, sometimes it's not easy um, to, to relocate and, and how do you, you know, if one of the premise, um, you know, one of the major features for your design options are I'm going to stay in the house, how do I minimize disruption? I think having this team approach with the architect, the client and the contractor to say, okay, well, how do we do this? Um, but having those, you know, the three different viewpoints, I think is really important. 
I mean, I think that's one of the biggest issues I've found um, with helping people with renovations is the the ability to make decisions and the, the concern about making the wrong decision, especially when it comes to design issues, um, you know, it, it just stops people dead in the track. And, and the fact that if you can have a bunch of people kind of helping you out and, and guiding you through the process, um, through this decision-making process, I think it just, it, it just makes the process that much smoother and that much quicker. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger, the biggest issue I always find is that, you know, there's really no wrong decisions. There's just better and better decisions and, and perhaps more informed decisions. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think people are getting this, this issue where they, they just have a hard time. It, it's all so new to them and it's, and it's, and it's a lot of uh, input. So it, it's, yeah. a, it's a tough one. And they're just not sure. Exactly. And then, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Probably not because you probably have more control over the situation than I sometimes do. But sometimes I go back to a client for the next meeting and they say, I had a dinner party over the weekend and my friends and I completely redesigned the house. Has that ever oh, yeah. happened to you? Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. And yeah. I think it's, and I think that that's why kind of, I mean, I have a, a kind of a, a whole decision process kind of uh, matrix that, you know, starts in the beginning and is, you know, the, kind of laying out what the goals are. And then with each one of these um, design efforts, it's, um, you know, okay, we've achieved this, this, and this. And, and so I think that the, the more inclusive the process is, the less changes you might get, but then you just, you, you can't control it. And sometimes no. the changes are, are for the better. And, and yep. it's like, oh, I, yeah, sometimes they are. Way. Sometimes they are. That that can be yeah. a rare occasion, but <laughs> it happens. It <laughs> happens. Um, it could happen. <laughs> do you have any advice about um, minimizing scope and budget creep? Yeah, that is that's one of the things that I think is really um, something that can snag a homeowner and really leave a bad taste in their mouth about the whole process. Yeah. Um, you know, when you start with a project and a budget. Um, and then things just get derailed. And I think that that is, is a, a, another reason to get that contractor on board early um, so that we have actually accurate pricing in the early phases. But what I also like to do is try to get, and this is true with the corporate clients or the institutional clients as well, is to make sure that the owners or clients have a construction contingency. And this is really to safeguard their interests because um, the documentation and, and even the estimates are gonna not be 100% accurate. We can't see kind of behind the ceiling or into the walls. And there, there's unseen circumstances in any of these renovation projects that, that, just are, that might cost a little bit more money. And so what I like to do is try to get at least like a 5% construction contingency. It's, it's really just a safety pile of money for the owner and it's in you know their hands so that they know by the end of the day, yeah, the, the estimate is this, I've got a 5% contingency. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, the project, as long as the scope doesn't start creeping, will we'll stay within that you know, three to 5%. 
Um, I think some of the other things that that you find, and and it's it's a natural progression, is you know, well, I'm already digging in the wall. Do you want me to replace the electrical? Do you want me to mm-hmm. replace the windows? Or you know, these aren't great windows. Why don't we just do the windows while we're here? Yeah. I think each time one of those topics comes up, um, it is a good idea to get the number and and have that, and then start your own Excel or any kind of uh, data sheet that then starts to add these up. Because I think what happens is people lose track and they said, yeah, I changed the windows. I also, I upgraded the plumbing. Um, and that, you know, and I kind of had a running tally in my head. Um, mm-hmm. But in, unless it's really kind of concrete and down on, on a sheet of paper, it's hard for you to evaluate. So I think getting, getting that price, getting the contingency, having actually the, you know, if you've got the, contractor on board, he can actually give you estimates for any of these options. You know, um, yeah. you know, even if it comes to a window replacement, you know, do I choose Marvin? Do I choose Pella? Um, is, you know, in, in, in a particular case, you know, are these Armstrong windows just, you know, I found that in my last house, um, it was an 1850s colonial and the Armstrong uh, white windows were the perfect solution and they were half the price as the Marvin Customs. So well, I think in many cases, yeah, <laughs> that's a rarity. That doesn't happen often. But, you know, in many cases, you can evaluate these things with your architect or with your contractor, or both ideally, so that they can poke each other and say, you know, is this right? Um, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I guess overall, you and I would both recommend that homeowners get a contractor to manage yes. their project. For sure. I, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's probably the management of a project. I, I, I don't think you can um, foresee how much time it actually takes. And I think you and I both know that it is a huge time sink. Yeah. It's also, it's also overwhelming, even if you know what's going on, because people maybe don't show up. If I'm not a contractor, I don't have other work for this sub, and so they're not going to prioritize me. Right. They, they don't show up when they say they're going to, which then puts other people off. And I used to, when I was doing this house, I had a blog, and I was happily writing my blog until things started going kind of south, and I couldn't bear to write it anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> That's probably the best point to write the blog, because it's like I know. I know. It was just too much though. I just didn't even want. So now I've managed to just not remember it. So that's perfect. Right. Yeah. Right. No. And I think you're, you're right because, you know, if you have a delay, you know, the plumber can't make it for a week um, and then I can't get it inspected and then I can't drywall. And now the drywaller says, well, I'm not coming back in three weeks because that no longer fits in my schedule. you, You get all these compounding errors and then you're just like, oh, what right. do I do now? You know, yep. so it's, it really can become a, a, a nightmare pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. It definitely, it definitely can. And even something that seems simple, like a bathroom, just because it's a physically small space, it is still involves a lot of the trades. So, right. And in fact, those are some of the worst spaces, um, yeah. uh, you know, bathrooms and kitchens, you know, they can be small, but they involve a volume of different trades and inspections and, yep coordination and it's just those those probably the rest you know the master bath suite is is probably one of the most complicated um little projects true 
Speaking of which, is that what you're working on right now in your house? What What do you have going on at your new place? So at the new place, we have quite a lot of smaller projects, but uh, we have the 2,800 square foot townhouse, freestanding 1850s. And so we're currently getting it painted because if we wait another week, I think we're going to have to reside the house. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that is, feeling, actually. It is, it is another fixer-upper. I don't know how much paint it's going to take, but it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Put enough on, it look fine. <laughs> yeah, it's structural paint. <laughs> um, so, so, so a lot of exterior uh, restoration, and then we can start to, to really hunker down on the interior. Yeah. Well... Okay, I have a section of my podcast called Learning from the Mistakes of Others. Uh-huh. Do you have anything you might like to tell as a cautionary tale? One thing that I could say is that in the several renovations that we've done for our own house and 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 what I try to tell my clients is that I think it's and and if you can, sometimes you can't because you've bought the house and you need to renovate it and then move in. But what I like to do and what, um, you know, sometimes it's the budget that, that makes me do it is to live in the house for a while. I mean, I, I think it's really important to kind of move to the house, live there for a year, um, because I think the initial plans that we I've drawn up for like it's the third or fourth house now um, are completely changed when you actually are living in the house and you notice you know, well, the sun comes in from the east in this window, and that's kind of where we like to hang out. And so I think it's kind of the house has its own kind of ebb and flow of life. And it's kind of nice to, to, to live in it for a while so that you can really then start to prioritize what are the projects. I think mm. all too often you kind of move, you know, especially with a client that's just bought it and they said, no, we got to fix it because we're going to move in in a month. Um, and, 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 they don't really kind of, you know, they don't know what part of the yard they're going to use or so. I mean, I think that's kind of the one um, little tidbit of knowledge that I like to kind of pass along, um, if it's possible, just to sit in it for a while. And, and, and it typically it'll tell you kind of, you know, what are the what are the kind of the nice aspects of the house that are existing that you could maintain? Hmm. OK, well, that's a good one. I mean, that's good. That's a good bit of advice. Someone, one of my, one of my clients actually advised me to do that when we moved in here, but I didn't take that advice. <laughs> I think that would have been a little difficult. <laughs> it would have been really difficult. Yeah. yeah I think it, it's an, if it's possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, uh, the bathrooms were just, there were holes in the floor from. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really more of, you know, and then there's stuff that, you know, there's the kind of the bandaid approach to until you really take on the big project. But, you know, again, you know, some of the pitfalls of that is that if you moved in, it's really hard to move back out. True. For the construction. That, so that, that is the, true. So that becomes, you know, another one of those those sticky things. It's like once you're in, you're in and then you're you're talking about living in the construction. Yeah. Well, and I do remember that you and I both actually finished our houses right before we sold them. Yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of probably a diagnosable um, issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think my wife would say that in that, you know, the paint is is drying on, on, on the last renovated room and it's the open house. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> and we've done that each time. So, 
So I think in this latest renovation, I'm going to work really slowly. Good. So you can enjoy yeah. it for a few years. That's right. That's great. That's a good idea too. Uh, try to get it done in a certain amount of time so you can actually live there for a couple of years. Exactly. You know, I think that that actually, that that's probably another, you know, we had lived in uh, the last house for 13, 13 years. And the last week before the open house, we decided to redo the laundry room. <laughs> and the laundry room was, was exceptional when it was finished. And in fact, we, we um, took pictures and sent it to all three of the boys and said, um, so guess, guys, what room this is? And um, none of them had a clue. It's like, that's not in the house. So, <laughs> well, I hope the new owner is really enjoying it. So I, exactly. So we were sitting there, you know, with the, like the one day to the open house saying, you know, I wish we had done this five years ago yep. because this is really lovely and it would have been, you know, a game changer. Um, but no. You might still be living there if you'd have that yeah, nice laundry room. That's right, right. <laughs> you never know. Well, uh, Carl, I really appreciate your time today. Oh, I know thank you. You've got a lot going on. So sure. thanks for thanks for joining us. Well, that's it for the interview for today. Thanks for taking the time to listen all the way to the end. Uh, if you have an idea for an episode or a question you would like to have answered, you can email me at uh, thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. We'll be answering questions on the show in future episodes. So you can also go to www.talkinghomerenovations.com for the show notes and links to social media. It would really help if you would send this link to two friends who could use the information or you think would like this podcast. I would appreciate that. So I'm Catherine McPhail, and Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven is produced by my architecture firm, Demios Architects. So if you need help with your project or advice, architectural advice, you could contact me through my website, which is www.demiosarchitects.com. And Demios is spelled D-E-M-I-O-S. That great music that I have at the beginning and the end of this podcast is Blackberry Festival Foot Race, which is a Scottish jig in D minor by David Fisher and played by the great Hanukkah Castle. So until next time, remember... It's okay to dream. Wow, Tus Tuscan orange with green shutters. Yeah, because you know, you know, I was thinking that if there's two feet of snow and you're walking home, and then all of a sudden you see this Roman villa in the distance, mm, that would be that would be so pleasant. <laughs> Until you get up to it and it's clapboard. Yeah, but for yeah. a little while, you'd feel <laughs> for a little, good. For that little mirage. <laughs> <laughs>